Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. Welcome to Springs of Living Water with Pastors Ray and Jan Greenlee. Brother Bevington was preaching in Cleveland, Ohio. But the Lord began to speak to him and say, Go to Chattanooga, Tennessee. We pick up the story as he has just checked the train fare for Chattanooga, but he has no money to go. He writes, I slipped back out on the street and began to walk away. Chattanooga kept ringing in my ears. I approached the intersection where I would board the streetcar from my lodging of the night. Then a voice said plain and clear, Will you or will you not go to Chattanooga? I was startled, but quickly replied, Yes, Lord, I will, but... There it was again, that little word that has stranded so many. I was not about to be sidelined by these three letters, so I boarded the streetcar. I struck out for the railroad depot with only thirty minutes left before the final last-chance train. Noticing a man was eyeing me very closely as I approached the depot, I thought to myself, he won't get much money if he plans on waylaying me. As I came near, he broke out in a smile. When I reached him, he threw his arms around me and said, At last, Brother Bevington! Yes, but I'm in a hurry. I want to make a train in twenty minutes. Who are you? He fell in beside me as I hurried toward my destination. He laughed as we entered the depot, saying, You prayed for my wife four years ago, and Jesus healed her. She said, Since we don't have any more doctor bills, let's give Brother Bevington our doctor's money. In one year we had five dollars for you, and I've been carrying it around for the past three years, waiting to see you again. God had brought him in from the country just to meet me. Oh, how it pays to let God do his work. We got to the train just in time for me to be shoved onto the last coach. I collapsed in my seat and thought, Well, here I am, Lord, at your command. Now what are you going to do with me? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Arriving in Chattanooga, I spent twenty cents to check my two heavy suitcases and splurged my last eighty cents on dinner. How I lingered over that meal! But finally I stood out on the street, penniless, homeless, and among strangers. I decided to walk a while and think about my situation. Then I heard a call and looked back to see a man with such a glow to his face I knew he had to be a real child of God. You're the man! You're the man! I hardly knew what to think, so I replied, Well, what about it? You're the man I've been looking for. You're going to preach in the mission down here on the corner. The man who was there has broken down. He asked me to pray for a man to come and give him relief. So I went into my home, got down and laid the case before the Lord. He showed me just as you are now, except that you had two big suitcases, one black and one yellow. 
Brother, where are your suitcases? I laughed. I guess you have the whole thing pretty straight. He pointed the way I should go and asked for the two baggage checks. The man of the mission was sitting at the window on the second floor where he could see down the road. He knew who I was instantly from the description Joe had given him three weeks before. He came down quickly and welcomed me heartily, then introduced me to his young wife. I began preaching that night. The mission was run by different churches, the M.E. one night, the Baptist the next, and so on. There were five meetings a week, with a different church coming each night. I soon saw that some of these meeting-house folk didn't take to my way of preaching very well. The Emmy folk took me all right. On the fourth night was the meeting for another church. As I was preaching, in came a drunkard, and as was their custom, he was signaled to go back out. But he didn't seem inclined to go. So the head man of the church said to the leader, Put that man out at once. I called out, Hold on there. Don't put him out. But the man in charge motioned the leader to obey his orders. So I jumped over the railing, rushed to them, and implored the leader, Please don't put that man out. Jesus came to save just such poor creatures as him. The boss said, You don't know this man. He's the lowest down creature in town. He has to go out. No, please don't, I begged them. Put him out, he ordered. I sprang between the leader and the drunkard, stood my ground. They dropped back, and the drunkard dropped down on a seat. The odor emanating from him soon cleared him plenty of room. The boss and his crowd all got up and left, taking some fifty people with them. As the leader went out the door, he turned and said, Brother Bevington, I know what Jesus came for, but we've been dealing with this man for ten years. There is no hope for him. My dear brother, you will never make me believe that. Jesus can make a difference, and he will if we give him a chance. The leader called back over his shoulder, Then you and him go for it. I'm putting out the lights, but the one by the pulpit, and we're leaving. I ushered the drunken man up to the front of the platform and began to lay hold of God for him. He did pretty well until about 2 a.m., and then he began to get very boisterous. He said he was burning up and had to have some whiskey. Just get me a pint, and I'll be all right. I would like to be a Christian, but I'm in hell right now. I kept trying to reason with him, but he was getting the best of me. Being much stronger than I was, he kept backing me toward the door in spite of all I could do. Within a couple of hours, he'd pushed me to within eight feet of the door. Near exhaustion, I knew something had to happen. I wanted to call out to the man sleeping upstairs, but the Spirit rebuked me. So I held my peace and began to intercede at the throne more intently. Unable to hang on any longer, I finally let go of the man and threw up my hands, crying out, God, what did you send this man in here for? What did you send me here for? Oh, God, come, come, come. At the third come, the man fell prostrate on the floor. 
he actually crawled around under the chairs just like a snake. Then I began to plead to have the demon cast out. In thirty minutes the man was as quiet as a lamb. He sat up, rubbed his face, and said to himself, Is this really Tom? Why, I believe I just got religion. You may have religion, but you don't have salvation yet, I warned him. No, I know better. I have religion for sure. Come up to the altar and get saved, I invited him. I'm saved right now. No, you're not saved. You've just had the whiskey demon cast out. Now you're a candidate for forgiveness. He kept insisting that he was already saved, but I finally got him to the altar. He got down and prayed earnestly until he began to see that he did indeed need salvation. In a little over an hour, he prayed through. Of all the dancing you've ever seen anyone do, old Tom did it there. The young wife came downstairs about then, and she was delighted. She called her husband down, and both seemed satisfied that Tom was really a saved man. I was thoroughly worn out from the wrestling all night with this ferocious man and needed some rest badly, but I said to the couple, Get me a tub of water, a broom, a bar of soap, and a scrubbing brush. Then go get some good clothing. I'll take Tom out in the backyard and scrub him up. I used three tubs of water and a bar of soap and actually succeeded in getting him fairly clean. They furnished me with some good clothes, and soon we had him looking entirely different. Whiskey may have floored him, but he was a well-educated man. God gathered up the fragments of his life, polished, and put them in place, and he was in pretty good shape by the time we were through with him. He looked at me and he said, Will you go down to my cousin's? I used to be his foreman in the lumber yard, but he hasn't allowed me around for years. We went down just as the cousin was preparing to eat his dinner. We were invited inside. The cousin looked at me and then at Tom and did not recognize either one of us. I did not readily make our business known, and after some suspense I asked, Mister, did you ever see this man before? At that Tom smiled. The cousin said, this can't be Tom, can it? Tom sprang forward saying, Yes, it is. I'm a new man, Bill. Jesus saved me, and this preacher's cleaned me up. Then the mission gave me this nice suit. Bill, I want to go to work again. I'll join the Emmy Church with you if you'll have me. After a time of rejoicing and a wonderful meal, Tom took me outside and asked me one more favor. Brother Bevington, Jesus has sure cleaned me up on the inside, and you cleaned me up on the outside. Now I want you to go with me to see my wife. You have a wife? Yes, I have. At least I did. I haven't seen her for eleven years. They say she's worse than I was. She's down on Pokey Row with the very poorest, honoriest people that are in Tennessee. I said I would, and we went back to the mission. The leader saw us coming and met us. When I had told him of our mission, he asked me to go upstairs alone with him. He looked at me very seriously as he said, Brother Bevington, I think I can work things out with the manager of the mission now that Tom is so different. But whatever you do, please don't go near that woman. It is unmistakably evident God has undertaken for Tom, 
but that woman is a thousand leagues lower than Tom was. If you have anything to do with her, it will kill any possibility of getting him back in here. They'll probably throw me out, too. And I'm too old, and my health is not sufficient for me to make a living anywhere else. Please, Brother Bevington, listen to me. I was listening, and his dear young wife was, too. She joined us, setting down a cool glass of lemonade for each one, and said, Husband, I'm young and strong and willing to take in washing to make our living. I believe Brother Bevington is on the right track, and he knows his God better than either one of us. If God could save Tom, he could surely save Liz. I say, let Brother Bevington alone and keep your hands off. Let him and God and Tom do their best. If it comes to our having to get out of here, I will work our way through. I said, Amen, and took her by the hand, weeping for joy at her noble stand. God bless you, dear good heart. The husband finally agreed and kissed his wife, saying, My dear, you are the better of the two of us. I went back downstairs, calling out, Come on, Tom. We headed immediately for the worst vicinity of town. After a distance, we turned into an alley where all of the combined poverty and ignorance and filth I had ever seen did not approach what was before me. I was somewhat taken back, but I said, We have started, and we will trust God. Finally, we reached our goal. The greater obstacle now loomed before us. We were there, but where was she? We had no idea even of how many times she might have changed her name. We ventured into a yard and began to make inquiries, but we could find no one who would involve themselves in our quest. Spying a staircase going up to the roof of one shanty, we climbed some twenty feet above the filth, thinking we might escape some of the awful stench. There on the roof we began to call on God for information. Soon a huge man, very filthy, came out and saw us kneeling. He was curious and wanted to know what we were doing there. We told him, and he said, I know who you are after. I'll bring her out. In all my mission work in Cincinnati, St. Louis, Louisville, and Cleveland, I've never seen such a vile-looking, evil-smelling, hopeless case as the wretched woman this man brought before us. I told her what her name had been some fifteen years earlier, and she acknowledged she remembered using that name. Oh, how I even wondered if Jesus could do anything for such a creature as stood before me. After attempting to talk with her further, I finally brought Tom forward to present him to her. She grunted in surprise and squinted up her eyes, peering at him with great suspicion. Is that you, Tom? she finally asked. Tom assured her it was, and began to tell her what God had done for him, and how he believed God would do the same for her. She swore at him. Feigning complete disinterest, she turned to smoking an old pipe she clutched in her dirty hand. She only stopped to swear at him further. I don't know what was in that old pipe, but the stench was almost unbearable. But Tom kept on telling her about Jesus. Myself, I was getting faint. Finally, I began 
to back my way down the filthy stairs as I said, We'll come back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Make up your mind that you believe Jesus can do as much for you as he's done for Tom and that you can live a respectable life again. And then we hurried out of that malaria-infested pit as fast as we could. Tom went to his cousin's place, and I went to the mission where I fell into my bed. I slept over twelve hours and awoke the next morning at dawn. I went down to breakfast and related our previous day's trip to my host. The young wife was very interested and immediately began to gather up many of her own clothes for Tom's wife. They're going to get her, and she'll need these, she said confidently. The husband still tried to persuade us not to bring her there to the mission. His wife said, We'll take her down to my Uncle Ben's coal house then, and fight this thing through with her. He's a man of God, and he will let us go there. Tom showed up at the door after a short while, full of hope and faith for his poor, emaciated wife. Back we went. Praise God! There she was, bundled up in filthy rags, standing out at the head of the first alley waiting for us. The first thing to do was to get her cleaned up, so we took her back to the mission, and Tom led her into the same yard where he got his cleaning up. He used five tubs of water and two bars of soap to get her clean enough to put on the nice clothing waiting for her. The leader of the mission was not able to go, but the wife went with us to her Uncle Ben's coal house, a nice and clean enclosure. If I had thought I had a terrible time with Tom, I found it was nothing compared to what we were about to go through with this wild, unreasonable woman. We wrestled with her there for eighty-four hours, day and night. It took all of us to exert any kind of control, for she managed to bruise Tom all up first. Then she turned her fury on me. She was pounding and pulling on me so roughly she tore my clothes almost to pieces. Tom had to extricate me from her clutches, but together we managed to hold her inside the building. We fed her coffee and good food and prayed with her until the eighty-fifth hour, when she was knocked down by the power of God. She lay on her back, cursing God and man alike. Froth was foaming out of her mouth, but she was powerless, perfectly helpless, and exhausted. She lay that way for nine hours until at last she was completely quiet and still. Then she raised her hands, weeping, and asked us to help her up. Her clothes and Tom's were in complete shreds, and we sent for more clothing before we could even take them out of the building. When the clothing arrived and they were dressed, we took her to Tom's cousin's house. The next morning she prayed through most gloriously. She didn't dance like Tom, but simply walked the floor with her right hand held up toward heaven for the next two hours, laughing softly and saying, Oh, glory, glory. Finally, we all went to sit down for a wonderful family dinner with Tom's cousin. The next day, the cousin outfitted a three-room cottage with new furniture for them. Then he gave them both new clothes and other necessities. Once those needs were met, the cousin gave Tom his old job back. I had the privilege of marrying Tom and his wife all over again, before they set up housekeeping. 
Then, upon our insistence, after they were installed in the new home, Tom and his wife prayed through to get the Holy Ghost. That created quite a stir in the many who knew of them and their past. Neither one of these two ever went back into sin. They had three sweet children with them the last time I saw them at the Cincinnati camp. God is really in the saving business. That was what Jesus came for, and he made sure this purpose of saving souls was within the reach of whosoever would believe. I saw Tom and his wife three more times at the Cincinnati camp where they gave their glorious testimonies on a platform. They were a most blessedly saved and sanctified couple. The mission managers did end up giving orders for the leader and his wife, who had stood so faithfully by me, to pick up their belongings and go. The story of Tom and his deliverance and salvation was being told about everywhere. Two days after he prayed through with me in the mission, I was preaching a meeting on Sunday, the M.E. Church Day. Some twenty of those involved with the leader's dismissal came and fell down at the altar. Several of them prayed through, and after God adjusted their thinking further, they decided to allow the former leader and his wife to remain at the mission. I felt it was now time that this man went after the Holy Ghost, so I went after him. He was somewhat scared of that, but God shored him up, and in a couple of days he was truly seeking. Then the wife came seeking for the same blessing. With these two, with Tom and his wife, it was a busy week. But glory to God, the Lord got them all through. My question to you today is, have you gotten through? Have you done business with God? Do you need to find a place where you can just get down on your, on your knees, cry out to the living God of heaven, and ask him to bring you through into full sanctification? Are you tired of this life of dead sin? you want to be free the power of the blood of jesus can set you free you don't have to live in this darkness anymore you don't have to live with this emptiness and this coldness in your heart you can be filled with the holy spirit but first you have to repent of your sin you have to be born again not a pretend born again i mean born into jesus and then as you remain in Jesus and you wait upon him for the fullness of sanctification, he'll break the bondage of every sin in your life. And then as you cry out to him, as you wait upon him, he'll fill you with Pentecost power. He'll send the anointing of the Spirit of God upon your life. And you will be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with power and with authority. Your words will no longer fall to the ground dead because your heart will no longer be divided. You will be wholeheartedly given over to Jesus Christ. This wonderful work of grace cannot be done in a lukewarm place. You cannot do this work alone. If you want to be washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus, come to the National Prayer Chapel. We will pray, and Jesus will answer. We meet on Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. For directions, call 703-490-8723. That number again, 703-490-8723.
Lord Jesus, we come now to get a hold of you for that man or woman, that boy or girl who's listening today to this broadcast. Lord, they've been hearing things they've never heard before. They've been hearing that they don't have to continue walking in their sin. They've been hearing that they can be born again in you, Jesus, and they don't have to be caught in these bondages. Lord, there's questioning in their heart. They've never heard before that they don't have to sin. Lord, they've been taught the lie that they're always under the bondage of sin and they're not going to be free of that until finally they get to heaven. But, oh Lord, this has been such a wicked and false gospel. Lord, men and women are now listening and in their hearts they're asking, can I really come to Jesus and receive this wonderful gift? Lord, only you can bring this to them. And only you can begin to move in their hearts and convince them that, yes, they can have this wonderful gift They can have full salvation. They can have sanctified hearts. They can be made holy. They no longer have to walk in the darkness and bitterness of failure. They no longer have to have a guilty conscience before you. They can be washed clean by your blood, Jesus. Lord, I come now to get a hold of you for them, to plead your mercy upon them, to plead, O Lord, that you would stir them into action that you would cause that flame of hope to rise in their heart, that they could be washed and be made clean before you. Lord, some of these precious ones have been carrying dirty, dark secrets in their heart. Lord, they can't sleep at night. They're burdened by their sin. And they numb out by watching the television or by eating or by going to movies or by doing something else. Lord, they've tried to fill that emptiness of their heart with money and power and recognition. But, oh, Lord, their hearts are still hungry. Lord, I come today and I ask, would you encourage and fan to flame that small beacon in their heart that you've placed there? Lord, would you cause that fire to explode in them with the certainty that they too can come to you, even as old Tom came, even as Liz came. Lord, that they can be washed and and be made clean just like these Dear ones were washed and made clean. We come in the same faith that Brother Bevington had. Lord, we've come praying for revival in this nation. But, O Lord, especially in Washington, D.C. Lord, they've announced a a crime alert in Washington, D.C. People are being murdered. But, O Lord, we ask for revival to come because we know a revival of holiness A revival of sanctification, a revival of godliness is the only answer. Lord, we've become too proud to spend this kind of time to get clean before you. Lord, we don't know how to get free like this. I ask, O God, would you break the pride? Break our pride, Lord God, and take us to a deeper level with you. Lord, we we read these stories and we think, how can that happen? But Lord, it does. Victory is for today. It wasn't just for the 1800s. Lord, it's available now. It's available today. Oh, Lord, rise up today, Lord. Call forth these people. Arise, Lord God. Pull them up. I pray, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm Pastor Jan Greenley. We pray that you've been awakened today by the Holy Spirit to a hunger for Jesus and His holiness. If you need someone to pray with you, call 703-490-1111.
8723. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. To receive a copy of today's message, visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. If you want to get right with Jesus and experience His joy in your heart, come worship with us on Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. at the Grace Lutheran Church, located on the corner of Prince William Parkway and U.S. 1 in Woodbridge, Virginia. At the National Prayer Chapel, you will find Jesus, the bread of life.